some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. It's Monday, September the 16th, 2019, and this is the quick six for this third week in the college football season, second week in the NFL season. I'm Jason Martin, host of the Big Six, host of the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio. Squared Circle Radio heard Sunday mornings right here on 104.5 The Zone and the Pop Six Pop Culture Podcast, as well as the editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog, which you can find and read at your leisure at 1045thezone.com slash big6blog. Wrote the usual Big Six takeaways from Tennessee's 45 to nothing victory over UT Chattanooga on Saturday. Wrote the Big Six takeaways once I got home from steamy Nissan Stadium on Sunday with the Titans' 19-17 loss to the Indianapolis Colts that took them to 1-1. One and one. So last week we went about 45 minutes with this show. I'm going to see if I can kind of get it down to where the quick six actually makes sense. But I had a lot to say, and guess what? If I have a lot to say, I'm just going to keep on talking. How about them apples? It's a podcast. If you're listening to this, then you're probably a fan of mine anyway. And first of all, I don't take that for granted at all, and I'm humbled. If you do take the time to listen to me or read anything that I do, I greatly appreciate it. But I don't want to waste your time. That's always my mantra. So let's talk a little bit. And you know what? I want to talk about one overarching theme before I even talk about what the Titans did and what Tennessee is going to have to do next week against Florida. I also should mention the host of the Tennessee Tailgate Show with my good pal Joey Kent. Uh, we had a good time in the post game after the Chattanooga game on Saturday talking to a few of you on the phones and just trying to figure out where this Vols program is, not even just this season, but at current under Coach Jeremy Pruitt with a huge momentum maybe season-defining kind of moment coming up in Gainesville in six days. But I want to talk about coaching because we're seeing so many examples of bad decisions and baffling mental mistakes being made by coaches. And something needs to be done about this because it should not continue. It's happened on the college level. It happened on Saturday in multiple occasions. It happened on Sunday right here in Nashville with what I thought might have been Mike Vrabel's worst game as head coach of the Tennessee Titans, making two mistakes, both of which you can point to along with bad quarterback play and say that's probably why the Tennessee Titans are not 2-0 as they go into Jacksonville on Thursday night football for another AFC South matchup. But let's talk about Pat Narduzzi first. Pat Narduzzi. Pittsburgh head coach, they're trailing Penn State by a touchdown. It's 17-10. There's less than five minutes left in the game. And the Panthers are fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Down seven, less than five minutes to go against Penn State. There is not a single metric. There is not a single device. There is not a single piece of mathematics or analytics or logic that would tell you that there is anything to do here other than go for the tying touchdown. And if you, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could go for two and take the lead, but obviously that's not what you're going to do. You're going to tie the ball game. 
Instead, Pat Narduzzi chooses to kick a field goal. So Alex Kessman kicks it for Pittsburgh. It goes off the upright. And so they don't score at all. And, of course, they lose the football game. This is just mind-numbing levels of ineptitude from the guy that can't afford to be that if you want to win football games. So he was asked after the game by the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and probably other reporters as well, what were you doing? Why didn't you go for the touchdown? And Pat Narduzzi's response was, quote, you need two scores to win, unquote. Technically, I guess that's true. But if you can tie the football game right there, or if you want to, you can go for two and go up 18 to 17. But if you kick the field goal, that gives you three points, which means you're still down four, which means, guess what? You've still got to score another touchdown to win the game. So you accomplish precisely nothing by not going for it You have to get a touchdown either way, or you've got to kick three field goals in five minutes. So on the one-yard line, how many opportunities are you going to get that close with a shot to run it into the end zone, get it in there from one yard out, and tie the game and get the touchdown that was necessary? You don't. And then the response is not just, hey, you know what, I goofed on that one. It was you need two scores to win. What in the world is happening here? And we saw... 12 men on the field for Michigan State. They make a 44-yarder, I believe it was. 12 men on the field. That's not allowed. Penalty. Backs them up five yards. Misses the 49. Shanks it left. Michigan State loses to Arizona State. We saw an Iowa State player and another Iowa State player collide on a punt return that was picked up by Iowa. Iowa wins that game 18-17. Those aren't necessarily coaching deals. That's a discipline thing. The 12 men on the field... That's a discipline thing, but that's also a coaching thing. And you expect someone like uh, D'Antonio not to make that mistake. But Narduzzi's mistake is, is a doozy, if you can just allow me to go ahead and use my word smithery. That's not a word. But if you want to make worse, look at the NFL on Sunday and look right here in Nashville at Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel, look, I'm in the stadium, so I didn't see the entire replay. I had somebody tweet me and say, Butler may have touched the receiver, T.Y. Hilton, before the play or the part of the replay that showed the contact that didn't happen. I believe that was worth a challenge. Not challenging it led to Jacoby Brissett then turning around and escaping pressure, and eventually they scored a touchdown on that drive. It was the touchdown that put them ahead. It was the second touchdown of the game for the Colts. That touchdown never happens. If you challenge that and it goes your way. And if it doesn't, okay, that's fine. But was that not worth the risk? Because it looked like a very iffy call. A very questionable call. Maybe they're not going to want to overrule it. But that one's worth a shot. What are you holding it for? In case you need it later in the game? Right then and there, you had an opportunity to stall a drive that ended up giving them points. I thought that was a gigantic mistake by Mike Vrabel. And then he made maybe a bigger mistake in the fourth quarter. When it's a clear situation where the Titans are going to punt the football deep in their own territory, around their own 30-yard line, and they go out there on fourth down, trailing, and they just want to draw 
the Colts offsides. Well, the Colts sniffed this out because everybody in the stadium knew what was going on. And so they just kind of chill and wait. And while this is going on, the clock is running. So they're drowning out the clock. They're drowning out the play clock to see if they can draw them offsides. Nobody's even flinching. Nobody's even trying. So they drown out the play clock and kill and cost themselves 40 seconds right there when they didn't have to. And they were trailing in the game, and it made it easier for the Colts to then run out the clock after the inevitable punt and the delay of game that brought it back to a fourth and six. That's two scenarios where Mike Vrabel let his football team down in ways that you cannot do when you're a CEO. And so that led me to tweet out something that I have said many times in the past, and it's not germane to me. If you can have as many coaches on your staff as you want, and in college, you know, you've got Butch Jones hired as an advisor, an intern, all this kind of stuff at Alabama. So, I mean, you can have as many people as you want. Why on earth would you not insure your luxury item aside? I'm getting married in seven days. By the time you hear this podcast, it will be less than six before I'm actually standing um, at our location in front of a bunch of people telling them how much I love this woman that's standing in front of me. So I bought her a ring, and I think she knows when she looks at it just how special she is to me and what a blessing from my Lord that she is. But let me tell you what happened after I got that ring, after we picked it out and after I paid the money for it and then went and picked it back up six weeks later to set up to give to her a couple of weeks after that. The very first thing I did with that ring is I took it to my insurance agent and got a personal item policy added to everything else on my account. Because as valuable as it was to me, as much as I was willing to put into it gladly and willingly, happily, I did want to mitigate the risk of losing it all if it gets lost or stolen or damaged or who knows what else. I wanted to make sure that it was protected, that I wasn't always feeling like it had to be treated like it was under glass at all times, that she could enjoy wearing it, and that I would feel better about it being under my house before I could even get it to hers, to her finger. See the engagement ring in my analogy as a head football coach in the NFL making $3 million a year. If you're going to pay that kind of money to entrust your franchise, which is worth billions, and a fan base is paying a ton of money to sit in those seats in back-breaking humidity and heat, to watch that football team play, why would you not find a way to pay a quarter of a mil or 500 grand or whatever it is, whatever percentage makes sense to you, to simply hire someone informally referred to, at least in my mind, as a common sense advisor, a logic assistant, a probability assistant, somebody that crunches the numbers and says, hey, probability is we should go for a quarterback sneak here because statistics over the past 10 years show that 76% of the time on short yardage, you're going to get it with a quarterback sneak. That's from Warren Sharp and Sharp Football. So you know it's accurate. And that's better than handoffs, which are like 60%, and certainly better than any other opportunity plays. There are so many occasions 
where everyone watching the game knows what needs to be done, and then we see a coach do the exact opposite of that. Think about what we saw on Thursday Night Football this past week with the Panthers. And they've got fourth and one. And yeah, they want to protect Cam Newton, and they clearly don't want him taking unnecessary hits. And unnecessary, I'm defining as anything that can be prevented, meaning don't let him carry the football because if he's not holding it, they can't hit him. But on fourth and one, you've got a 6'5", 250-pound bull as your quarterback. He falls forward for a first down 100 times out of 100, basically. They don't do that. They go gadget play and try to find Christian McCaffrey. He gets cut off. Panthers lose that football game. It's an NFC South game against the Buccaneers. The Panthers fall to 0-2. When you fall to 0-2, your chances of making the playoffs are really, really, really slim if you look historically back at the numbers. Another piece of coaching malpractice that probably could have been stopped. All you got to do is have one guy whose entire job is the things that we see coaches blow all the time. Clock management. Andy Reid could have one of those back in the day when he was in Philadelphia. It's been the thing that's dogged him his entire career. A lot of coaches blow clock management. Have that guy say, hey, don't call a timeout here. You want to save it. You want to call it after this down because that's going to leave you with this kind of time on the clock. You want somebody that's watching it that can tell you when you should challenge and when you should not challenge. You want somebody that's paying attention to every little intricacy because that's all his job is. As a head coach, we take for granted how, how much we can see but how little we're responsible for as viewers of the sport of football. The head coach has to pay attention to everything that's going on, everything that's going on on the sidelines, people in his ears, player disputes, everything, injuries, schemes against the guy across the way from them. There's a lot going on in their brain. And so I think it is more excusable in that you would expect them to make more mistakes because they're spinning too many plates. And that's why I say they need to spin one less and just have somebody that takes that out of their hands and is the insurance policy to the engagement ring. That is the insurance policy to the multi-million dollar coach that you have on the sidelines that's blowing football games by making decisions incorrectly that rudimentary math or simply observation would tell you not to make. So that's a treatise. I said I was going to go short and then I probably just talk for I'm not even sure right now because I can't even unlock my phone where I'm recording this technology, y'all makes this thing possible for me to do on a Sunday night. Wow, we're almost 15 minutes in. I need to get moving, I guess. Titans lose to the Colts. I already told you one reason, Mike Vrabel. Let me tell you a second reason, Marcus Mariota. This is the time that I tell you what I have said on the show without caveat for the past two years. And if you've listened to me on Fox Sports Radio longer than that when I was with Clay on OutKick, then you've heard me say it even longer. And you know how... I'm one of, if not the most negative towards the current starting quarterback in the Tennessee Titans in this entire media market. That's not me touting myself. It's just my own observations. This is what I've said from the very beginning. And it has only grown since. He is not the guy. Five years into his career, he's still saying the same things after losses. I got to stop taking sacks. I got to get the ball out of my hands. I've got to go through my progressions. I've got to stop taking unnecessary risks. All of this stuff. I can't listen to this anymore. I can't listen to the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, as likable a gentleman as he is, 
and as great an athlete as he is, continue to say, I've got to get better at this thing. No, you should have already been better. This is your fifth year, son. This is the year where they determine if they franchise tag you, give you an extension, or tell you to hit the bricks. And I'm saying right now, if you're the Tennessee Titans, you tell them to hit the bricks. I don't think you franchise tag him. I don't think he's good enough to franchise tag, quite frankly. He's somebody that seems impervious to the possibility of throwing outside the numbers successfully in this league. You've got Adam Humphreys. I'm not blaming this on Mariota. He had two catches for negative one yards. He's in the flats the whole time. You know what Adam Humphreys did last year pretty much consistently and continuously with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? He was between the hash marks in the middle of the field by the chains, moving those chains, getting first downs. He's been non-existent, and I don't think it's his own problem. But you acquired him, and I thought it was the best offseason acquisition this team made, and he has done squad douche for this football team over the first two weeks. You want to talk about guys that have shown up? The defense has played very, very well, even though it was a workmanlike blue-collar mentality to the running game for the Colts on Sunday, but it was enough. Marlon Mack did enough. Wilkins did enough and then broke out for the big 51-55 yarder that busted the game open. But generally, the defense has played pretty well. Frank Reich wasn't able to really take a shot in that game at all because no receivers were able to get down the field with a spot where Brissett thought he could get the ball out of his hands. Brissett, at his height, at like 6'4", 230, was hard to bring down. More elusive than I think some of us anticipated. I knew he was good, but you had him beat. But your quarterback wasn't good enough to beat him, and your coach beat you. And that's the kind of thing that good teams just don't let happen. Bill Belichick maybe has beaten his team one time that I can recall, and that, of course, was that fourth down on Sunday night football against the Colts, the fourth and I think it was fourth and two, where they went for it, didn't get it, and lost that game to Peyton. Outside of that, I can't really remember. But I've seen, you know, Pete Carroll's done it every once in a while. The decision that led to the interception by Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl when the Seahawks should have won over New England and didn't. You see coaches cost their teams games. And then you have to start wondering. This was the worst day of Rabel's coaching career. Those two mistakes were gigantic. This was also one of the worst days in Marcus Mariota's career. But all this does is affirm what I have said from the start, which is because we're still asking the question as to whether or not he's in the long-term future of the Tennessee Titans franchise at the starting quarterback position, the single most important position in all of team sports in the United States of friggin' America, the fact we are still asking that question in the year we determine if we are going to pay him means you don't pay him because we already know the answer. You wouldn't have to ask the question if you had a positive response to it. If you have to sit there and go through a debate team for an hour to try and sell yourself on it, that ain't good enough. He's not accurate enough in the intermediate throws. We saw him overthrow Delaney Walker on a third down. Speaking of third downs, one for ten in this game were the Tennessee Titans. Absolutely dreadful. Ten percent. That's just unacceptable, and you're not going to win doing that. And the biggest and the the biggest reason why is because you didn't get to stay ahead of the chains. 
You saw that in all the games that were played on Sunday, and you see it week after week. You stay ahead of the chains. You keep that down and distance manageable on third. They got a third and two, a throw to Delaney Walker, and then here's the rest of it. I wrote this in the Big Six blog and my Big Six takeaways. Third and 13, fail. Third and seven, six-yard pass, had to punt. Third and eight, holding penalty made it. Third and 18, then Mariota got sacked and fumbled. Third and 17, fail. Third and 15, long field goal after a fail. And a good kick by Cairo Santos from 49 yards. Third and 10, it failed. But a penalty against the Colts gave him an automatic first down. But three plays later, third and five, Mariota was sacked and lost seven because he couldn't throw the football away. And that sack would lead to Santos missing a field goal. I'm not sure he misses if Mariota doesn't take that sack. Third and five, Mariota overthrows Walker. That's the one I just mentioned. Third down and ten, and then a third down and two late, and that was spiking to stop the clock. That's hideous, folks. One of ten is abysmal. There is not a descriptor bad enough to be accurate enough to describe the sheer level of garbageness, refusity that we saw from the Tennessee Titans right there. So you're blowing some good performances. Derrick Henry still looked pretty good. I want to see him carrying the ball more. I don't need to see Deion Lewis on the field as often as we did. He only got three carries, but I saw him more often than I needed to. I didn't see Humphreys enough. I didn't see A.J. Brown enough. Too often I was looking at the sidelines and I was looking at number 10, number 11, and number 15 standing next to each other. And on the field I saw a whole lot of Tajay Sharp. Delaney wasn't out there as, as often as possible. I saw Johnny Smith, who I guess he's a great blocker because I didn't see him do much else. And then Corey Davis, who, well, he did a little bit, but he's the number five pick in the draft, and I need him to do more, period. Defense played well. Offense was not good enough. You lost to the Colts. You've only beaten them twice in the last eight meetings. It doesn't even matter if Andrew Luck's there. You can't even beat Jacoby Brissett. And now you've got a Thursday night football game in Jacksonville against the Jaguars who hate you. You're going to travel down there on a short week feeling bad about yourselves because you know you let this thing slip away, and now the nation doesn't care because what could have been a 2-0 and Titans team that was sort of intriguing is now a 1-1 one one team going to play against the Jags, and it becomes the Thursday night joke of a game that it is every year where because they have to put every team on Thursday night one week a year, they pick these two teams to get them out of the way by putting them together. It's almost like when they put Boise and TCU in that BCS game and everybody cried foul. It's like, oh, you're going to put the two small schools together to get them out of the way and kill two birds with one stone. That's exactly what it felt like. So that's what you are if you're the Tennessee Titans right now. This is what you have sown from what you reaped. Mariota's not the guy, and Vrabel had a really bad day. Across the rest of the league, Bears beat the Broncos. I don't want to talk about it. I'm a Broncos fan. I know Trubisky made a play. Bradley Chubb got hit for a roughing call that was absolute trash. The Bears win in mile high, 16-14. to 14. I still don't think the Bears are very good. I don't think they're going to the playoffs. My Broncos are one of the worst teams in the league, and I don't know that Vic Fangio is a head coach. I think he's a defensive coordinator, and that's what he should be, a great defensive coordinator. I also think that's what you're going to find out pretty soon, or I think that it's at least on the horizon to be true. I'm not going to say it's going to be true, but I'm worried about it. 
in Knoxville with Jeremy Pruitt, and I've always thought that about Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. Eagles and Falcons in Sunday night was bonkers late. I don't know how long Carson Wentz is going to be able to stay upright. He's getting hit. He had that one throw, that crazy throw in the fourth quarter where his knees were off the ground, but they were both just tangled into it right after he let it go. I don't know how he got the ball off, but it looked painful as all get out. He just crumples around. He's going to get hurt again. But the Eagles did manage to lose because Nelson Aguilar dropped what would have been a walk-in touchdown in full stride down the left side. Now he made a giant catch on 4th and 14, which gave him a shot, but he didn't get any end zone on that one. This one, I don't think there was any chance he was going to get stopped, and it went right through his hands off a perfect throw from Wentz. Julio Jones hit 20 miles per hour on his touchdown where he escaped. And so the Falcons escaped. Dan Quinn's not very good. Two coaches need to go in the NFC South by my estimation. Dan Quinn doesn't need to be back in Atlanta next year. Ron Rivera needs to be out in Carolina. But I had the Falcons in the playoffs, and I picked them to win that division, so I'm glad they won, at least for that sake. 49ers got themselves right a little bit against the Bengals. The Bengals fall to 0-2. I thought they'd be one of the worst teams in the league, but they look decent against the Seahawks. But I don't know how good the Seahawks are. Three touchdowns for Jimmy G. It's a day he needed. Not really surprising. I don't think the Bengals are very good. I don't think their defense is very good. I still am in very much wait-and-see mode as it relates to Garoppolo. But Shanahan knows how to call a football game. We'll see where the Niners are in about a month. Chargers-Lions, terrible for Phillip Rivers and the Chargers to go to Detroit and lose to that team 13-10. to Just not good at all. Lions score that touchdown in the fourth quarter, and Stafford beats Rivers. Bad loss for the Chargers. And now you got Melvin Gordon saying, or his agents or his representatives saying, it's not a Le'Veon Bell situation. He will report because he doesn't want to lose $5 million. He's going to lose 5 but he doesn't want to lose all 10 Whatever. He's like, this is not a Le'Veon Bell situation. That's exactly right, because Melvin Gordon is not as indispensable as Le'Veon Bell thought he was. And Austin Eckler is going to be just fine. Even though the Chargers lost, it's not because Melvin Gordon wasn't out there that they lost to the Lions. That was just a one of those kind of games. Packers are 2-0. and Matt LaFleur is 2-0. and Dalvin Cook played well, but the Vikings can't get it done on the road in Lambeau. Tough place to play, division game. Packers... 2-0. When you got Aaron Rodgers, you should be 2-0. Not easy games, and both of them were division games as well. So they are not just 2-0, but they're 2-0 in division. That's a good start for Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. I'm still not sold on the Packers being like Super Bowl contenders, but you can only play who's on your schedule. And even though I haven't been blown away with either performance, at one point they were blowing out the Vikings, and the Vikings had to make a pretty furious comeback. It was a 21-10 game, then it was a 21-16 game, and that's how it would end. Pats 43, Dolphins nothing. This Dolphins thing is going to lead to a change in the rule, probably. They have to do something about this. The Dolphins are on pace right now to give up about the most in every category imaginable and be the worst team in history of the NFL. And that's by design because they want a quarterback and they want a tank. And Antonio Brown does play four catches and a touchdown. I thought that was a smart thing to do was to break the seal and just put him out there some so that people got used to him in a Patriots uniform catching passes from Tom Brady. And so whatever is going to come from the investigation, at least the Patriots can say, well, I mean, we've already done this. Like, he's already played for us. Like, it doesn't become something new that has to be 
looked at again for the first time. It's already happened now. Now, if the investigation pulls out something and it goes poorly for Antonio Brown, it may not matter. But right now, the Patriots did what they should have done because he wasn't placed on the commissioner's exempt list. So what exactly should you do? Well, you should play him. It might not feel right to you. It might kind of smell bad to you. It does to me, too. I'm not a giant A.B. fan. Most of you probably are not as well. But there's no reason why the Patriots shouldn't have played him today because we don't know how this thing's going to work out. A little shady, and it's like one of those moments where you know you're guilty for something when they take his nameplate down, make sure his locker's gone, and just like escort him out of the building like he's Jack Ruby or something in 1963 before you let the media into the locker room so Brown's just not even there. I saw Ryan Glassbeagle, I think, of the big lead, my friend, who said, why don't you just have him stand there and say, look, because of the ongoing investigation, I really can't say anything at this time, so I won't have any comments for the time being. Just have him stand there and say that. I mean, he didn't have to say anything past that, but just make a statement. It looks better than him just disappearing like a thief into the night like he's Kaiser Soze. Bills are 2-0. and They beat the Giants. The Giants are 0-2. They're not very good. Not a shock. Josh Allen played well. He had the comeback win in week one over the Jets, and then he wins here. Their defense is straight up legit. The Bills are going to finish second in that division. At worst, I would say second, though. I mean, come on. They might make the playoffs. And Josh Allen, I don't think, is a bust. I don't think he's going to Canton, but he's doing all he can. And the Bills are playing well. And they're playing well for McDermott, and that defense is truly tenacious. They are tough to deal with, and they're going to cause headaches for everybody they play this year. Seahawks over the Steelers, 28-26. to Roethlisberger gets banged up, has to leave the game. Steelers' defense is atrocious. It's heinous. It's impossible to watch. Seahawks aren't great, but they've still got Russell Wilson. They had a bigger lead at one point in time. The Steelers did put up 13 in the final stanza of the game. This was a day where we saw some quarterbacks go down. Roethlisberger left that game. Drew Brees may be out for a decent amount of time. He goes down. Aaron Donald goes out of the game. We see Wentz getting banged up. We see Cam Newton basically unable to walk. Deshaun Watson's getting killed on Monday Night Football last week. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on across this league. Cowboys beat the Redskins 31-21, to 10-point win for Dallas. They look good again. Dak Prescott has had two really good performances in a row, and he's earning himself more and more money by the week. And Jason Garrett... Really nobody talking about anything he's doing wrong, and Kellen Moore is sort of the new wonderkind, and we'll see how long he's going to have that gig because somebody's going to want to hire him immediately, and I could see that being the Carolina Panthers. I could see that being a number of teams, maybe the Washington Redskins too, although staying in division would be a tough pill to swallow for Jerry to lose Kellen Moore in that direction, but I could easily see him in Carolina. No question about that. Or in Atlanta with all the weaponry. Give him, Give Matt Ryan... Kellen Moore the way that he's doing, but Kellen Moore and what he's tailoring, he's tailoring to what Dak Prescott does well. And that is the way it should be. You do not draft a quarterback who does one thing that's different than what you like done and then say, all right, we just drafted this amazing athlete and now we're going to turn him into a pocket passer even though that's not what he's done his whole career. Either you don't draft that guy or you tailor the offense to fit what he does. I didn't think the scheme last year in particular really favored Dak Prescott or the year before really. Kellen Moore, the way that he's got the line blocking and just the short routes and the quick strike mentality of it 
is playing really well for Dak Prescott, and so he's playing the best football of his career. And congratulations to him and the Cowboys. I've got him in the Super Bowl losing to the Chiefs. That was my preseason prediction. Ravens are 2-0. Lamar Jackson gets past Kyler Murray. Kyler played decently. Lamar Jackson, another good day against another terrible team. Look, they played the Dolphins, who are tanking intentionally, and they played the Cardinals, who have an awful, 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 awful defense. And Cliff Kingsbury seems to be content to kick field goals when he should be going for touchdowns. I don't know how that's going to work. But I do think the Ravens are in position to potentially win the AFC North because the Steelers don't look right at all, and I still don't believe in the Cleveland Browns, even though they're going to win tonight on Monday Night Football over the Jets and Trevor Simeon. Texans 13, Jags 12. That's the other AFC South matchup. So the Jags are 0-2 and pissed off with the Titans coming into town on Thursday. That's glorious. Gardner Minshew threw for over 200 yards. He wasn't bad. But Watson did just enough. The touchdown for the Jags was kind of late in that game. They go for two, fail. And so the Texans are 1-1, one and one, able to mitigate that just heartbreaker that they suffered in New Orleans. Chiefs 28, Raiders 10. Raiders started that game well, but Mahomes is unbelievable. Four touchdown passes just in the second quarter. All their points were scored. They scored 28 points in the second stanza of this game, and that's the only points that were scored in the game. It's all they needed. Ten points scored by the Raiders. They led 10-0 after the first. It was 28-10 at half, and then they just coasted right on through for the rest. Josh Jacobs looks legit. Looked good on Monday Night Football. Looked very good again for the Oakland Raiders. And then Rams 27, Saints 9. Picked this one, called this one. Outdoors, on the road, Saints not the same team. Breeze didn't have a zip on his pass on Monday. I think he's going to hit a wall sooner rather than later this season. Of course, now he's injured and knocked out, and we'll see whether or not he's able to go or he's going to have to take a little bit of time off with that thumb. But the Rams at 2-0 and and looked good doing so, just did enough. Even with Aaron Donald getting banged up in the first half of that game as well, the Rams seem to be right on schedule. And that's a big win and a rematch of the NFC Championship game. Bucks beat the Panthers 2014. We talked about it. Winston didn't look great. Had a couple of drives where he did. Cam looked absolutely awful. I made the comparison to... Basically, the babushka that he was wearing in the postgame made him look like he was going full Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise, which I thought might have been one of the more fitting comparisons I've ever stumbled onto or come up with because at the time I didn't even think about it. But, yeah, his, uh, his game is approaching the cliff, just like Susan and Gina were. And I could have gone with Gina Davis because she's taller and she's the athlete of the two, but he looked like Susan Sarandon to me. He looked like someone who would be in a park feeding moldy bread to ducks. And if you're one of those people, by the way, no offense. So that's the NFL slate for the week. Titans-Jags on Thursday. Titans own the Jags, especially on Thursday night. Mariota had a terrible performance. I expect he's going to come out, play super well in Jacksonville, and his, his stands are going to get right back on that bandwagon. I will not. Whatever he does on Thursday is not going to change what I've told you tonight and what I've told you for a long, long time before this, which is he's just not the guy. It's just that simple. All right, let's talk some college football a little bit here. We're about 34 minutes in, so my hopes of making this shorter, not so good, Al, at least not for this week. But we'll see if we can truncate it down, or you can just enjoy a 45-minute spiel of me talking about football and hopefully making some sense from time to time and being entertaining along the process. I feel for Clay Helton. They lose to BYU. BYU, who had a rough schedule when you started the season. They play Utah, 
who's sort of a borderline college football playoff or Pac-12 champion kind of pick, not to win the national title, but to get maybe to the semis because of an easier schedule. But they play BYU first. Then they go to Neyland to play Tennessee. Then they had to play USC, which they did and won on Saturday, and then they play Washington. That's brutal for the first month, and they have a chance to be 3-1 and one at the end of it because we saw what they did to Tennessee, and then they beat Clay Helton, and this just makes it easier for USC to say goodbye to Clay Helton at the end of the year. Clay Helton, short of winning the national championship, is done, and he's on borrowed time, and he knows it, and I don't even know how you can do your job when you realize they're already looking at your replacement. Urban Meyer was asked five or six days ago, I think it was, in an interview, hey, how fast do you want to come back to coaching or something? He's like, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. I don't really have any thoughts on that. Maybe maybe we'll pick that back up in a year or two or whatever. What he really was saying in his own head was, yeah, you know, in a year when that USC gig is open, I'm going to take that one, but I'm not going to actually talk about it while the job's open because that's a little uncouth even for me. That's what it was. But USC losing that game, and USC's a dumpster fire right now as a university. Lynn Swan resigned. They've got to go outside of the Trojan way and find the right guy for that job to lead the athletic program. They're going to have to do something with the head coach. They've got the academic scandal. They've got the Lori Laughlin, Felicity Huffman stuff. They've got some other fraud going on. The whole university's in total flux. It is not a good situation out in Southern California at present. Michigan State, I already told you, lost 10-7 to to Arizona State. 12 men on the field had to re-kick and miss the re-kick. Let me tell you, you had a really bad week. The ACC had an just, I mean, as bad a week as you can find. They had five out-of-conference losses this week alone. None worse, certainly, than Boston College losing to Kansas. But that wasn't the only thing. It was just part of it. You had that UNC-Wake deal, which was a good game, and a terrible officiating thing at the end kind of marred it, so that wasn't good. Pitt lost to Penn State. The 17-10 Pat Narduzzi thing I led off with. Georgia Tech lost to the Citadel. West Virginia's bad enough that Dana Holgerson knew they were losing all this talent. They're losing their top three wideouts. They're losing guys in both lines. They're losing Will Greer. So he's like, you know what? I think it's time for a change of scenery for old Dana Holgerson. I'm going to go to Houston. He knew he was leaving that covered bear. They're weak, but they beat NC State anyway. Maryland's not even in the conference anymore, which is never going to be right to me. My ACC, which I grew up in ACC territory. I mean, that's, that's where my blood is. And, you know, grew up on Tobacco Road and in Virginia and everything else. And Maryland is an ACC school. Maryland, that's not an ACC school that had put up like 130 points in the first two games of this season, lost to Temple. That's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. With BC losing to Kansas, Les Miles' team putting up over 550 yards, beating Boston College. I joke tweeted that that one win might might qualify Les Miles for legend status. Obvious joke, except to one person on Twitter that took it seriously and then continued to take every subsequent joke that I made seriously as well. I finally apologized and said, I'm sorry you don't get this, man. I really am sorry. And then he said, thank you for apologizing for your ignorant comments. Uh, Twitter, man. I don't block people. I, I don't think that it's the way to handle things. I was so close to it. But I can tell you that guy's in the ether in a different way. Maybe I should do it. I don't know. That drove me insane. It's like 
I tried to make it so clear, and you still couldn't see it. The worst moment, though, was Florida losing Felipe Franks. That injury was terrible. I didn't see it live, but I went back, and I, was, I went on Twitter right before the Jason Martin show started on Fox Sports Radio on Sunday morning to see if I could find the video of it because I'd heard about it, and usually if you hear about it and you know how bad it is and somebody says dislocated ankle, you're like, oh, so his foot's on backwards. I don't need to see that. But for whatever reason, I wanted to have some context so maybe I could discuss it on the show. And so I go and I watch this video, and I saw the beginning of the tackle, and I saw his leg crunch. And I said, you know what? Got it. Got it. Got it. And he knew it instantly. He's crying when he's leaving the field. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And then Kyle Trask comes in, goes 9-13. to Florida comes back and beats Kentucky, who led that game 21-10 to entering the fourth quarter with a backup quarterback of their own, replacing Terry Wilson, who went down for the season last week. Kyle Trask is who Tennessee's going to have to deal with next week. I don't know that that's better for Tennessee or not because I think Kyle Trask might be able to throw the ball a little bit better than Felipe Franks. He's not the same athlete, but as a passer, he could be a little bit more dangerous, and they have less knowledge on him. That much is for sure. Key for Tennessee is Batuli, who, boy, does he make a difference when he's back, and the rest of those guys getting after Trask and getting in his face, making him uncomfortable, and daring him to make plays. Because if he gets uncomfortable, he's likely to make a mistake. He's young. I'm on record. I said it on the Tennessee tailgate show. I will own it if I am wrong. I think Tennessee goes to Florida and upsets them. I've said it since the beginning of the season. I know that there is nothing to back that up based on the football that we have seen played to this, to this degree this season by this team. I think they're going to beat Florida. I don't think it's going to be a particularly pretty game, but I just have this sense that they're going to go down there and shock the world. And I think the best possible thing could have happened to Tennessee is that Florida came back and beat Kentucky. If Florida had lost to Kentucky, I know as a Florida fan or as a Tennessee fan, you never want to see Florida win. But if they lost to Kentucky, they would be ticked off and motivated, and that would not have been good for Tennessee. Coming back to win, even with the backup quarterback, they're still feeling good. And let's be real here. They don't take you seriously. They don't take you as a rivalry game that is a threat anymore because it's been so one-sided for so long. And the nation knows now that Tennessee football is mediocre. Mediocre enough that Tennessee, Florida, which should never be this, is a noon Eastern time kickoff. It is not one of the doubleheader that CBS is running from the SEC that day, this coming Saturday the 21st. And it's not on ESPN in the afternoon or the primetime window either. It's on at noon. That should never happen to Tennessee and Florida. And to me, that should be enough if I'm a Tennessee football player. That should be enough right there to show up and play my guts out. The effort was there. You were going to beat Chattanooga, but you came out, Ty Chandler with a 58-yard return, and then you go ahead and run it down their throat, get that lead. JG goes 7 of 8. He's still staring down his receivers, and I don't think that he's anything particularly special. But I still think he is a capable player, and I think Cheney's game plan has gotten better by the week, even though you can't read much into what happened there, I would say. Jalen Hurts may be the Heisman front runner right now. But Oklahoma still hasn't played anybody of note. Talk to me after they have played Texas. Talk to me after they played a few other teams that are later on in their schedule. I still hear Lincoln Rowley saying, yeah, you still got a ways to go with this offense, blah, blah, blah. And basically what he's saying is, I know, you know, Jalen Hurts isn't the passer I need him to be to be able to run the offense. I really want to run. 
but I'm smart enough that I can tailor this thing and let him be the athlete that he is and the competitor that he is and the leader that he is, and he'll make enough throws for me, but he'll also run a ton. And so his combined yardage might be off the charts, and he could win the Heisman. Tua looked really good against South Carolina. Trevor Lawrence has had five interceptions this year. He only had four all of last year. I have said before, all he has is room to go down, and people are waiting for it to happen because he has all this hype behind him, and I kind of feel sorry for him. His team's still the best in the country. They're going to be the favorites, most likely to win the national championship again because of him and because of Etienne and because of that defense and everything else, but Lawrence in particular. He's played just fine. He threw for 400 yards on Saturday, and people are still not even having him in their top five. They've got Fields in there from Ohio State. They've got Hurts. They've got Burrow. And I'm not disagreeing with this. They got Tua. They've got all these guys. They don't even have Trevor. They're not even talking about Trevor Lawrence right now. They will rue that before this season is over. That much I will tell you. So that is college football. Clemson's still the best team in the country, but they're not like right now firing on every cylinder that you want them to. Bama looked good against South Carolina in a hostile environment. South Carolina played them pretty tough, especially considering they don't have Bentley in the game. Some interesting coaching moves by Muschamp towards the end of that first half, too, that could have been added to my treatise off the top of this show and my thesis of bringing in some kind of a common-sense advisor. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I have to say about the football that was played on Saturday and Sunday. Week three in college, in the books. Week two in the NFL, there's one game tonight, of course. Browns will beat the Jets. I don't even know what to say. Sam Darnold contracts mono. He's out for four weeks. Patriots are going to get the Jets without him the first time through. The Jets' season is basically over. And one parting thought, not about Antonio Brown or anything like that. I'm thinking about Le'Veon Bell because I'm thinking about the length of a running back in terms of their career being around 2.35 years or somewhere, 2.38. I'm not sure exactly, but right there. Very short career because of all the hits they take and all the attrition that they have to deal with in college before they ever get to the pros. If you're Le'Veon Bell, now you just sat out for a season, so that's tread that was saved on your tires. But now, if you're Le'Veon Bell, you're running for a team that's probably not going to make the playoffs with Trevor Simeon as a quarterback and not a whole lot of weapons. So you're putting tread on your tires for really no reason except your own stats. I wonder if any of them ever think, like, if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I know you can't do this, of course, but it's almost like, hey, coach, don't run me 40 times a game because it's a waste. Save me for next year when you've got your quarterback back. I don't know that that's ever going to be a thought process, but that's something I thought about. It's just like every yard that Le'Veon Bell runs for is just for fantasy players and just for his own like stat numbers, but it's not going to do much in terms of the Jets because they're not going to go a whole long way if by the time Sam Darnold gets there or gets back there one and five. And there's still a lot of questions about Darnold. I believe in him, but losing him, I saw Simeon. I'm a Broncos fan. I watched that guy. He's a backup quarterback. He's a capable backup quarterback, but you're going to lose a lot of games before you get your starter back. And even then, that just slows down the process with him and Adam Gase a little bit further. It's going to take more time to gel back into the mode. They've got a long way to go. And so the Browns will be 1-1 one and one after tonight. One and one Titans against the 0 and 2 Jags on Thursday night football. We'll talk about that all week on the zone. This is my last quick six for a couple of weeks. It's interesting. I told you we just started this thing, but the timing is sort of intriguing. It had to be at the start of football season. 
But the woman responsible for the quick six is my fiance, Abby, and she won't be my fiance seven days from right now because we will be married and she will be my wife. And so I won't be watching football next weekend. Jonathan Schaefer will be in for me on the Tennessee tailgate show with Joey Kent after the Florida game to get you all caught up on that. I don't think we'll even have anybody fill in on the quick six. Big six, you'll hear me on Wednesday. And you'll hear me on Friday. I'll react to Thursday night football. I'm going to have Jeff Schwartz, my good buddy, on. And uh, obviously we'll talk some high school football with Murphy Fair and Tom Duggan as well. And after you hear me on Friday, you won't hear me for a couple of weeks because I have let off every show I have done on The Zone for several, several months, well back into 2018, by saying I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. And a couple of times I've teased that someday you'll understand just how blessed I really am. And I don't have the time, quite frankly, because it doesn't exist for the rest of my life. If I was here for 40 more years, I don't have the time in 40 years to tell you how blessed I am to have met this woman who I'm going to stand next to seven days from now and offer my life to. And so I'm blessed to have this job and to have this listenership, whether you agree with me or not, that's fine. Tweet me at jmartzone, call me an idiot. It's all right. Still with respect. And almost all of you do. But trust me when I tell you, it's always my privilege and my honor when I get a chance to talk to you, but nothing No privilege I've ever been granted even comes close to being entrusted with one of the Lord's daughters, and not just one of them, the one. Just absolutely boggles my mind. And so I got some business I need to handle over the next couple of weeks, so you won't hear the quick six until, well, there won't be one for week three in the NFL, and there won't be one for week four in the NFL. We'll be back in week five. And the big six will be as well. Somebody will be in for me um, next week as well. But you'll hear a couple of shows this week. And then we'll do some pop six stuff. Brad and I have some really fun stuff planned. This is not the quickest of quick sixes. This is not the Julio Jones 20-yard or 20-mile-an-hour touchdown play right here because now I'm just sitting here talking to you. But I feel like that's one thing that our brand has always been. And by our, I mean you guys and me and the people that have worked with me and made me sound good through the years, just that we talk to one another. And I have no problem telling you what's going on in my life, especially when it's something like this. And I don't want you to just celebrate me or anything like that. But I do want you to recognize that, man, there's some cool stuff that's out there. And it's pretty awesome, at least from my vantage point, that I've been able to take my hands away from the controls and trust in something else, and it's worked out for me. And it's leading me to something I've waited 40 years for. And if I knew, if someone had sent me a letter 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, when I was wondering if this day would ever come and told me the reason that it hasn't happened yet is because there are things that 
you need to learn and things that you need to change and things that you need to read. And there's things that she needs as well in her own life. And so until the moment is right and until until it's perfect, you're just going to have to wait. But I promise you when it happens, it'll be more than you ever dreamed of. And that's exactly what this has been from day one. Someday on a show where it fits, maybe I'll tell the whole story. Maybe I'll tell all of it from the very beginning of the last 21 months and how they progressed and how they changed my life and made me better and changed my perspective and the way I approach this job and the way I approach every breath that I take. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks. That's the short, long, short TL semicolon DR of this whole thing. I'm going to get married and a lot of zone personalities are going to be there next week and friends and family. You guys mean the world to me. I appreciate you listening to the quick six. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think. Glad we have the subscription link. Now, if you happen to just be hearing this in a different way, you can now subscribe the quick six. You'll find it uh, on Apple. And I think now you'll find it on some of the other podcast catchers as well, but you can search and subscribe and it will be delivered to you on Monday like clockwork during the football season and any other time that I want to react spontaneously to things that are happening in sports immediately when I don't necessarily have a show for a few days. Hope you're enjoying this. Hope it's giving you something new. Hope it's also helping you with your hangover or your lack of big six that you're not going to get for the next couple of days. Enjoy Titans Radio Monday and Tuesday. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Check out the Big Six blog. I really appreciate all you guys, man. I cannot intimate enough how fortunate I feel and how happy I am at this very moment in time. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you in a few weeks. This is J-Mart. Find me on Twitter at J-MartZone. This is The Quick Six. Signing off on this Monday, September the 16th, 2019. We'll talk to you soon. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. And good night from Nashville.